And the, when we were in our prayer meeting, I was reminded of a preach I heard, and I even preached the chair, Isaiah 59, verse 19, where it says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, God sets up a standard against him. And there was a guy, and some of you may have heard, he was quite big in the 80s, a Welsh singer, gospel singer called Ray Bevan. And I actually went to a little uh, gathering a couple of years ago, and he was, he was sharing on, 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 uh, on this particular text. And he said, actually, if you look at the Hebrew, it's actually not when the enemy comes in like a flood, but it's when the enemy comes in like a flood, God sets up a standard against him. And uh, I don't know if there'll be a pick, but uh, the point is I wanted to just start this morning off because it came up in the prayer meeting and I was reminded of it because as we go through what, I mean, that was, that was the one I had, so well done, Lee. Uh, two great minds, um, and uh, maybe fools, I don't know. But uh, the, the point is, is that when, when we have things that go on in our lives, and this was the point of the preach, was that we can have bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, challenges in our lives. And what we, we allow is we allow the enemy to land on our runway of our hearts. And when that happens, it doesn't go well for us. But when we flood the runway of our hearts with the presence of God, nothing can land on there. And the enemy's circling. He's, a, he's, a, he's like a roaring lion. He's not the lion of Judah like Jesus is. But he's like a roaring lion going around seeking to devour and to destroy. And I want to start the preach off by putting that as a foundation. That can you flood or can you allow Holy Spirit to come and flood your hearts? Because when he does that, then actually all that other stuff cannot land on it. And actually we'll live out the life that God's called us to. So that had well, not nothing to do with my preach, but kind of sets my preach up and wasn't in my notes. So you got that for free this morning. So, point is, is we've gone through six preaches. Um, I, may, I may need to airdrop it to you again, because half the sides aren't there. Um, and we've, we started off and I gave an introduction on why Colossians. And Colossians is, is a book... Um, that was written by Paul, and it's, it's in there, obviously, for the, to the church in Colossae, but it's all about the fact that this guy, Epaphras, or Epaphras, however you want to pronounce his name, um, goes and meets up with Paul while Paul's in prison. It's one of the letters that's called the prison letters, Ephesians, Philemon, etc. And, uh, and basically, obviously, Epaphras has planted this church. It's not a church that Paul's planted. And uh, he comes and he says, um, look, there's problems in, 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 in Colossae. The, the, what's happening in our church is that there's a whole bunch of junk that's come in. And Louise, you know, spoken and, and Rich before that on those two preachers are what was going down in the church. It was all this Gnosticism, this uh, religious um, asceticism, uh, and all this junk that was going on in the church. And so Paul writes this letter into this context. <clears throat> so he's actually writing it into a context that people don't even know him. And uh, I don't know if we got this right yet or... No. Do I need to... to airdrop it. It should be under recent. Okay. And so that's what we started off with was this introduction. Then the second thing we looked at was what I noticed throughout the whole book of Colossians was this thing of thankfulness. Like the, the, having a heart of thanksgiving. And I went through this process and the second preach was on how the whole book looks at no matter what's going on, if we have a heart of thanksgiving, then actually we put, our place, we put ourselves into a place where actually Jesus can do his miracles. When Jesus comes and feeds the 5,000, what does he do? He doesn't say, oh, Lord, please. I don't know about you, but like when I'm in difficult circumstances, I go, Lord, won't you do this? But he, all he says was, thank you. And then he hands out the bread. And it multiplies. And so this whole issue or this heart of thankfulness. Oh, so there we go. We're back. <laughs> um, and then I looked at the supremacy of Christ. It's, it's probably it's what they call the greatest hymn in the New Testament. Just looking at the supremacy of Christ. He is the firstborn of all creation. And it just goes on and just describes this amazing supremacy of Jesus. And then Willem came and shared on the labor of the church. And the sacrifice that actually we are called into. And Paul was describing that. And Willem described the sacrificial way in which we need to walk out our, our journey as the church. And then Rich came in and he talked about being complete in Christ. If we're not found in Jesus, actually our lives, it's really difficult to do what he's called us to do. Because we need to understand that our lives need to be defined not just by his death and his sacrifice, but also by his burial and his resurrection. 
putting aside things, but then living in the new, newness of life that God has given us. And then Louise spoke on Gnosticism, and I joked last week because she wanted more than one session, <laughs> and I told her, there's no ways we don't have enough time for this year because we've got all our, our, our preachers planned. And so she fitted the most amazing preacher. If you haven't heard it, go listen to it. Um, just in terms of what Gnosticism is. And Gnosis meaning knowledge. And I'm going to get into some of that or at least refer to it. And it really it burns away the fire of our faith because it tries to add to what Jesus has done rather than exalt him as, as the supreme God that we have. And it's this kind of elitism, hyper-spirituality, legalism, and actually denying not just Jesus' deity, but his humanity. And we're going to do communion just now. And what we've done as the church, I think we've, we've we, especially in Charismania and charismatic churches, which I would say we probably are somewhat charismatic, is we've, we've elevated the divinity of Christ, which of course we must. But oh my goodness, we have forgotten the, the humanity of Christ and how we can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and not just kind of the separating spiritual from, from the reality of the physical. So let's read. And uh, Leish, won't you come read for me, please? You read so well. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self, which is with its practices, and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Did a much better job than I would have. Thank you. What an amazing text, eh? And I don't know about you, but you know, this book is so rich. It's only you know, four or five chapters long, but oh my goodness, what it has in it is just the, the most profound truths. And so verse 1 has implications to it because it says, since then, or if then. So in other words, all of what's happened in chapter 2, I mean chapter 1 and 2, has set us up to, if all of this is true, then this is how you live out your life. And uh, it's important that we understand that we have been raised with Christ, that he's actually done the work for us. The victory has been won, but there is a part that we play, and it's important that we understand that. And now what I thought of was like this inheritance thing. Like let's say you inherited a car from somebody. Like you just got a call up from a lost cousin, third, far removed and they said, oh no, Gary, you've got a car um, that's been left for you in the will, but it's in Pretoria. You have to come and collect it. You see, most Christians, I think, live out their lives that they know they've got this inheritance, but they've actually got to move to go get it. They've been given this gift, but they haven't opened it up. It's like arriving on Christmas morning, and you're all sitting around the Christmas tree looking at the presents, but nobody actually gets up and opens it. And God has given us this gift of salvation and newness of life because of his resurrection, and it's important that what we do is we get up and we actually do and play our part in the process that God has for every single one of us, both individually but as a community as well. 
But I want to say, I don't know if you saw, I, I highlighted and I underlined a whole bunch of words there. And I know when you were at school and you learned the English language and you were in your English classes, and I, I really didn't do well at English, I didn't like it, and my kids have followed suit, you know, in, as, as they emulate their dad. But I've actually realized how important English is as I moved into writing reports and, and, and all of kind of stuff as I went into my, my CA and everything else. And you realize that English is really important and grammar is really important. And I think I learned more about English when I studied Koine Greek because you need to understand what is a participle, what is a, an article, what is a verb and all the different tenses and what do they mean, etc. But interestingly, all, what I, at school, it was always called the doing word, Right? Because a verb means you've got to do something. It's not just naming something. It's a doing word. So I'm, I'm listing in there. I'm not going to go through it. But look at that. Put. You know, rid yourself. Clothe. Allow. All of those kind of things. There are so many doing words there. I didn't even list them all. But now what we've done is because this is who we are, this is how you become that which you already are. And so there's a process and we understand that this is our, our responsibility. The thing about this is it's only through Holy Spirit. If you try and do this, this should come with a warning. You know when you open up these things and it's like warning, you know, chokeable small items for children or, you know, warning, hot or whatever it might be. This should be warning, do not try this without Holy Spirit. Or if you see on when they're doing these things and America's got talent, you know, please do not try this at home. I mean, I don't know why people would want to swallow fire on their own at home and that kind of stuff. But hey, you've got to tell people this because we're not that bright as humanity. But anyway, the point is, is... There are only two outcomes if we do it with our Holy Spirit. And as you can see up behind me, is you become a miserable Christian, or actually maybe you don't even, you throw away your faith because you try it and you go, oh my goodness. It's like getting a Ferrari for your birthday, but you don't have petrol in it. And you're pushing your Ferrari around. Imagine coming up to the traffic light there and there's a guy pushing his Ferrari. How do you think he's going to really enjoy that? But, but let's be honest, that's how we live as, as Christians. We try and do all of what I'm about to go into without the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's how we feel. And afterwards, we just give up, and we go, I can't do this. Or you become a legalist. You become a bigot. Because you've put all of these things into play, and as Second uh, Corinthians 3, 6 behind me says, is he has made us competent ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And the thing is, without the Spirit, we take what God has asked us to do and be our part to play, and we make it a legalist, and now it becomes law, and it becomes something we have to do rather than something we get to do. So, if you remember anything from this morning, it is impossible to live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit, without Him coming in and empowering us to do all of what He's called us to. So, verse 1, since then... You have been raised by Christ. Set your hearts on the things above. Now, that word could be set or seek. You'll see in the different translations, it, it kind of flick-flacks between whatever translation you're reading. But the point is the Greek. The Greek means to strive for something earnestly, to seek and desire to possess something. I don't know, how many of you have ever lost your, or misplaced your, your keys or your wallet? I do that often. I wish I maybe get one of those Apple things and find out where it is, you know, beep, beep or something, because you search and you, you're late now, and now you're searching and you're looking under things and whatever else. The one time we couldn't find Louise's keys, and we searched everywhere, and, and we could, for weeks we couldn't find her keys, and Jordan had thrown it down the drain, because our drain blocked up, because he landed up throwing down some of those, like, soft, not soft, uh, uh, smooth stones down into the drain, and I started to pull them out, because the drain had blocked up, and out came her keys. But you search in a way because you, you earnestly, you desire, you want to possess it because you have to go somewhere. And I wonder if we did that for the things that Paul's kind of describing, and I'll get into that in a moment. Now, in Greek, it's very much a tense-driven language, the Koine Greek. And this is a present active imperative. What is it? It's a command. It's not, it's not a suggestion. It's like God is saying, do this. Don't, don't, don't not do this because it's not going to go well with you. But it's also the fact that it's a present active means it's a present continuous case. So you don't just go, oh, I've done it. Okay, that's me. You know, I've, I've done what I needed to do. Let's move on. No, you, you are actively continually doing this. You are seeking, but you are keeping on seeking. And there's a persistence. So I, I said this a few weeks ago is we should be thermostats as Christians, not thermometers. 
Our lives should not represent the context we find ourselves in or the temperature of the context. We should set our thermostat and that's what we should be to the world out there, to the friends and family and everything else. So set your heart on things above. Now the, the interesting thing is, and sorry for the busy slide, but I wanted to put the text there, is this whole thing, there's no detail, really. What, are, what things above, Paul? <laughs> like the stars, the, the sky? It's like Bruce always says, what's up? And like my kids say to me, the sky. So that's how I answer him now. The point is, is that the things above are the special blessings that we get when we accept the invitation from Jesus to be his. And that's why Ephesians, which is one of my favorite books, I love this text. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So that's what we're seeking. That's why we are looking up. And I love the songs that we were singing this morning. It's about looking up. It's the, the wisdom from above that, that James talks about. Not the wisdom from below. Not hum, human wisdom. Because there are messy, many blessings below. The sun. The rain. The people around us. There are many blessings that, in a sense, everybody on, in humanity gets access to. But we only get access to the blessings that are above. The things above when we are in Christ. Because the stuff on, on earth is actually fleeting, isn't it? We can have these great investments, but we can have an economic crash and turns to dust. All of those who invested in cryptocurrencies thought they were going to make a fortune, and then the cryptocurrency crashed. And so it's important to understand that we, it's, this stuff's temporal. It's going to disappear. Are we doing what Matthew 6.33 says? Are we storing for ourselves treasures in heaven? Not stuff on earth where moth and rust and all that junk happens. But actually we are... As Christians, we are called, a lot of the stuff that we are called to do, we actually receive rewards for. That's not performance. Wherever you see crowns, wherever you see rewards, wherever you see those kind of things, that is God saying, if you do these things, you will be rewarded. Focus on things below. What happens is, is we start to drift away from God. I don't know about you, but if you continue to watch the news, if you continue and it starts to just filter whatever happens, it starts to actually just erode your faith and not allow you to actually move into what God has for you. That's what happened at COVID, didn't it? Because fear just rose. And we all started to look at the things below. What are we going to lose? Friends, family, whatever. And then you just kind of put the crawl in, and you don't actually live your life out in the faith that God's called us into. I don't know how many of you have spoken to somebody who says, oh, I tried Christianity, it didn't work for me. <laughs> I, I, I've heard probably tens of people say that to me. If you try Christianity without crossing the line of faith into the great trinity life, without the power of the Holy Spirit, then that's how you will end up. I tried it. I couldn't do it. It just, it, it just wasn't possible. It, it didn't really work for me. No, no, no. If you, if you start to drift away from God, it's probably because you're drifting away from Holy Spirit and you're focusing on the things below rather than the things above. Where Christ is seated is the last part of that verse, verse 1. And I'm spending a bit of time on this because it's important. Now, right hand always talks about power. It always talks about this kind of sovereign rule of God. And the thing is, is if we look at the world, I don't know about you, but it gets overwhelming. I don't know how we've landed up with the leaders we have in our world today. I honestly don't. Whether you look at Canada and you look at Trudeau, you look at Biden, you look at Trump, you look at... I mean, Ardern or whatever from, I know she's not there anymore. Or you look at the multiple prime ministers that the England had in the last year. I mean, you could just keep going. Eh? And our own president, who's been the most wet blanket I've ever come across. We've got no leadership in our country. We've got no leadership in the world. And you've got people just doing the most ridiculous things. And we start to go, oh, and we lose hope. But our hope isn't in them. I think a lot of Christians and churches, I want to say in the United States, your hope is not in Donald Trump. I want to say to us as, as, as South Africans, our hope is not in Cyril Ramaphosa or whoever takes over for him. Our hope is in Jesus. I love Willem's prayer. If we will humble ourselves and pray, God will heal our land. Anyway, the point is, is we've got violence, lawlessness across our world today. Economies, we're in, if, we, if you don't realize this, we're in an economic downturn of note. And we're in for some really tough times. That's not, just, that's not to be this, oh, kill joy for this morning. 
But what are we doing? Are, are we focusing on those things and we're looking at things below or are we thinking of things above? And that's what Paul's calling us to. We need to refocus on the throne of Jesus. Now, I know when people say the sovereignty of God, God doesn't control everything. I don't know about if you know that. The guy who goes and murders somebody last night, God doesn't control that. That's somebody by their volition. God doesn't want robots. He, he went and he killed somebody. But God is in charge. And God is like electricity. He's powerful, but oh my goodness, he is dangerous. So it's not about ignoring what's going on in our world today. I think we need to be part of the solution. But it's about focusing and getting our perspective from above, from the wisdom from above, not from below, and to understand what God has done. Because otherwise, it is impossible to maintain your joy and your peace. And rather than allowing this anxiousness and fear to dominate, Actually, let us faith come and take us into the place where it should. So set your mind. So he's really told us to set our hearts. Now he's saying set your minds. So our hearts is towards these things from above. But now he's saying, no, set your minds. And if you know Dallas Willard and you know all of what he's saying, is, is we've got to watch that. What, what do we put into our minds? Because what goes into our minds is what we hear and what we see. The senses. What are we thinking about? What are our thoughts? What are we allowing into our system and is it going to, I don't know about you, but if you put something into water, you can sully it very quickly with a very small amount of poison. What are we allowing to infiltrate our mind? So our hearts speak of the striving that we've spoken of, but our minds, they speak of the concentration. The continued, okay, whoa, I don't, that's not according to Jesus. Let me deal with that, and I'll speak about that in a moment. But it's about the eternal, the treasures in heaven that we spoke of. Because it's to fix your eyes not on what is seen, I don't know about you. Again, if you look at our world today, you start, your faith starts to fail you. And the Bible actually says men's hearts will fail them in the last times. But rather, focus on what is seen, not what is temporary, but on what is unseen and eternal. And so all of this stuff is we've got to watch that we don't just go with our five senses. Because our five senses, are, are, it, it, our smell, our touch, our seal, we actually need faith to come because that's how we access what's above. That's how we access what's above in heaven in terms of what God has. So, oops. It then goes on to say, put to death your earthly nature. A lot of people go, oh, I don't want to become a Christian because now I just have to become somebody that I'm not. No, no. Do you know that God made you? And that he's actually called you into the perfect life in terms of who he created you to be. And so when we talk about put to death these things, and there's a whole list, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, all of those things. Remember, like Louise said, and here's the word that she, she struggled to, asceticism, <laughs> is to deny your earthly pleasures so that you can become holy. So, so what that does is it, it, it kind of, you, you, want, you think that by doing that, you're going to get closer to God, but actually it actually distances ourselves from God because it says, well, I've done this. And because I've done this, then God must. I don't know if you know that the gospel is not about cause and effect <laughs> on the whole. It's like, I'm going to do this, and then, God, you need to do this. And if you don't do this, then, okay, then I'm not going to serve you. I mean, I know somebody who basically walked away from the church and from God because God didn't do what he thought that God should be doing for them in their business. That's not the point. The point is relationship, no matter what we're going through, through the valley of the shadow of death. So putting to death, it's, it's a really strong term, isn't it? Like, I mean, to, to kill, to, to put to death. And so what it is, it's, it's not resisting sin. It's actually trying to eradicate it and destroy it. I'll get into some of that in a moment. We resist the enemy, the devil, but what we do to sin is we need to put it to death in terms of our bodies and in terms of our flesh and in terms of what our bodies desire because of that. And again, it's not about working harder. If you're sitting there right now, oh, I'm feeling convicted and I've got the sin in my life and I need to deal with it. If you think, oh, I, I must just do, do better. Like my kids say to Louise and I, Dad, Mom, just do better. It's only through the power of Holy Spirit. And that's how we respond to them. You can see they're, they're laughing at the back. Because it's actually not, it's not possible to beat the flesh by the flesh. Have you ever tried to put out fire with fire? 
Have you ever tried to put gasoline on a fire to try to put it out? No, no, you either need water or you need some other, if it's a chemical kind of fire, you need to put something else on it to actually kill it. And so we need to understand what do we do to kill the sin that comes through. Now, I know this is a long text, and I'm going to try to read it as well as Leisha did, but Romans is the most phenomenal book, and I'm sure someday we're going to get to exposit it, but it'll probably spend the whole year there. But for if you've been united with him in death, like his, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection, like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should, not, should no longer be slaves to sin. You see what it's trying to say? Is that if we have died with Christ, if we've understood the process that we've actually, like we go for baptism, like Alice is going to be baptized later, if you identify with what Christ has done, then actually you have, your, your flesh has died, your spirit has been made alive, and so now we need to elevate to walk by the spirit rather than by the flesh, which I'll get into in a moment. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, we cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought, brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master. Now I know every single one of us is struggling with some kind of sin in our lives. Whether it's covetedness, whether it's an addiction, whether it's fear, whether you could, I, we could sit here and I guarantee you we could all have them. So we're in great company. Because it's important for us to understand that even though we've been freed from the power of sin, we are not free from sin. Why? Because we can still go put ourselves back in the prison, can we not? We can walk straight back in there. And we can sit in there despite the fact that the door's open. And we can wallow in our own self-pity. Here are two little things. Is we will never be sinless this side of eternity. But we should be sinning less. And if you're not killing sin, sin will kill you. I often have men come up to me struggling with an addiction with pornography. It is one of the most debilitating things for a, for a man. And I know, ladies, you may not understand this, although I know the stats on women are increasing dramatically across the world. But the point is, is that pornography is something that just comes in and eats away and you can say to, what I say to men is just don't stop fighting. Don't, if you stop fighting, you will go back and it'll, it'll overtake you. Keep battling it. Keep trying to kill it. And maybe you won't ever overcome it this side of the eternity. Maybe not. But if you land up in a place by going, oh my goodness, I'm stuck in this and, and, and I can't do anything. God's not real. Holy Spirit's not powerful enough. I'm giving up Christianity. As opposed to, let's go be with Jesus. The people that have overcome it are the ones who go and be with Jesus, who read their Bibles, and we'll go into that in a moment, and allow Holy Spirit to flood over them, to allow the Word of God to come and to cleanse them. And actually then they stop doing it because they're replacing. And that's why when we say this, take off, but we actually need to clothe ourselves. Because guess what? If you take it off, just like what we see, if you get rid of all that stuff, actually a whole bunch of junk will come in if you don't replace it. So we need to replace it with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. Many of us as Christians leave, live between Easter and yeah, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We don't live in the fullness of the victory of Jesus. Because yes, Jesus died, but he rose from the dead too. And if, and if we stay at the cross, like the cross is magnificent, but if we stay there and we don't move forward, we actually don't move into what God has got for us. And we stay in the guilt and shame that we've got rather than moving into the newness of life 
where actually the grace of God gives, empowers us to say no to ungodliness. You know those Western movies, Wanted Dead or Alive? Well, God wants you dead and alive. <laughs> he wants your old man dead, but he wants your new man alive. So you guys all wanted dead and alive. Verse 6 and 7. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in your life, in which you once lived. Now, that's not saying the wrath of God. Because you know, as a believer, when we come to the end of the age, go read the end of the age stuff. We come before the great white throne of God. No, we don't. <laughs> Those unbelievers, we come before the mercy seat of Jesus. And so for me, what I understand it to be, is that when my name gets called, it's like you're coming to a reward ceremony. When you're at school and you see, no, okay, gee, I'm, I'm going to get this award or I'm going to get that award, and you get up there and you receive your reward from Jesus. Because when Father God looks at us, He sees Jesus because we are in Christ. He doesn't see who we are because He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could receive His righteousness. But... We must never forget that our sin put Jesus on the cross. That needs to bring a little bit of soberness to how we live our life. That when we sin, we must understand that as much as that sin is forgiven, it put Jesus on the cross. And it's this whole thing of, are you still living at the old address where the old man is? <laughs> My old address, I grew up there. I, I, from the time I was born through to the time I left home, was 47 Willowvale Road, Blegauri. 787-4091 was our telephone number. That's where I met Louise because she stayed at 51. And she just kept coming down and knocking on my door and I had to open it. But don't you think it would be ludicrous for me now with the, my family living in four ways to now go, I need to go live back in 47 Willowvale. Knock on the door and Where's my room? I need to come live here. Now we laugh at that, don't we? Because it's owned by somebody else now. Not my parents. But we do that as Christians. We go back to that stuff and we knock on it and we go back to the, that, that house that we used to live as our old man. Verse 8 to 10. But now you must also rid yourself of such things as these. And there's a whole list, right? Do not lie. It goes through. And then this thing is... and have put on the new self which has been renewed in knowledge in the image of your creator. And I wanted to focus on that in a moment. Now, the thing is, is that the old man is under the bondage of sin. So when we do what I've just said and I go back to my old house to go live in, what it is is actually taking a dead person and putting them on my back and walking around with them. Now, if you know in the old times, if you murdered somebody, that's what they did. They took that body and they strapped it to you, which ultimately you would die because as that body started to rot, it would rot you. Did you not know that? But that's what we do, don't we? We run back to the old life and we put the corpse of the old man on and we start walking around with it and it lands up killing us as opposed to living in the power of the Spirit. But it's saying put on the new nature. And Rich spoke about this two weeks ago, this beautiful text about the circumcision. And if you look at that, it's, we were, it's, it's past tense. God has already done all of this for us. It's not just about, oh, yeah, okay. No, there's a fundamental change in our identity. We are now part, we are children of the Most High. We lost it, but now we have been brought back into His family. And what Paul is trying to say to us is we need to bring our behavior and our daily kind of activity into the consistency of what we have, who we are now. See, it's changed fundamentally. Boom. The imperative is made. Boom. But actually we need to walk it out. And there's a part that we play in this to bring our behavior and how we walk out our lives on a day-to-day -day basis in line with who we are. It's like an adopted child. If you adopt a child who is like 15 years old, 13 years old, they've already had all of this learning and they come into a family that has a certain value system. And you can imagine if that adopted child was in an orphanage they would have been somebody who would have hoarded stuff. At dessert, they would have taken a bit more dessert so they could have it later and, and kept it to themselves. But they would have seen that, no, you can now just go to the fridge, my man, and take what you need because you're part of the family. And that will take time. So we have to be a little bit patient with ourselves and allow the time to change the values of the kingdom. 
again, remember that the work has been done. The victory has been won. What we need to do is we need to step into the part that we play, which is a very small part, by being with Jesus, becoming like him, so we can do the things that he would do if he were you or me. God doesn't want robots. I know this might sound a little ceaseman, but if you circumcise a male, you don't want to put the skin back on. But we try and do that, don't we? And we wonder why things are not working. But I'm giving you the picture so that you remember it. And I guarantee you, all the guys will remember that the only thing from today. But we don't live out this life where, like this computer system. I don't know if you've seen the frightening stuff with the AI that's happening around the world. But we don't just get this new oh, upgrade and now we're all good. And now we float on clouds and we've got a halo and, and everything goes according to plan. No, there's a process that's underway. We have to walk this out by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you've heard me say that, and I'll continue saying that throughout this preach. You see, it's been done in the past, but we have to walk it out. And then, like I said, verse 10, and that's why I read it. Did you notice that, the knowledge? If you link that back to Louise's preach, we need to make sure that we have the knowledge of Jesus. And that's why when I look at these two texts that I'm going to go through, um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, what does it say? I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know him better. Or what about 2 Corinthians 5, where we demolish every argument and pretensions that set itself up against Christ? Why? Because we take captive those thoughts. And we bring them into obedience to Jesus. So we are called to do those things, because if we don't do those things, I don't know why this thing is not working. No, I want to go back. So Gnosticism is about all of this, obtaining the special knowledge, adding to what Jesus has done, rather than actually being renewed with the knowledge of Jesus through Holy Spirit as we read his word, as we allow the revelation of God to come. And that's the knowledge we need of who he is in relationship with him, not this extra knowledge that we add to Jesus. Verse 11. There is no Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, Scythian, I don't know how you say that, uh, slave-free, Christ is in all in all, right? What we do as humanity, what do we do? We're the ones that bring bias and, 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 and racism into. Do you think God cares what color your skin is? No, no, because he says he looks in the heart. He looks at who we are, our character. He doesn't worry what pigment you've got in your skin or how tall you are, how short you are, whatever it might be. He's actually not looking at the external but the internal of who we are. Because verse 12 says, therefore as God's chosen people, okay, clothe yourself. So remember, we've, we've taken the stuff off, we've got rid of the stuff, we are now kalchat, we now need to actually clothe ourselves in the robes of Jesus. Otherwise we'll clothe ourselves in the junk again that we've just derobed with. And so, Something's happened wrong here. I don't know why. But all this talks about the distinctions that God, these are attributes of God. God has come and he's given us the attributes that he has and how we can only get that. You can't say, well, be more patient. I don't know about you. I'm not the most patient person in the world, especially on the roads. But the only way I can get patience is to be with the one who is patient. Verse 13, bear with one another and forgive each other as Christ has forgiven you. I don't know about you, but it is impossible to forgive without Jesus. It is impossible to forgive without being empowered by Holy Spirit because there is pain and there is woundedness that only He can heal. If you walk in your bitterness, if you don't flood your heart with Holy Spirit, all of that stuff will land on your heart and destroy you because it's His ability, His energy that helps us forgive. When we stop relying on the Holy Spirit, we can't forgive. Verse 14. All of these virtues put on love because that brings unity. Unity is not agreement. You know that? Unity is not about agreement. Otherwise, somebody has to be wrong, right? No, unity is actually living in disagreement, but loving the other and respecting the other that may have a different opinion to you around stuff. We're about to go into Revelation next year. The book of Revelation. We're going to try and exposit it. It's a big mammoth task, right? There are so many opinions on that particular book. 
that if we get into this thing of, oh, he said he should, wah, 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 and we get into these millennium, non-millennium, pre-millennialist, post-millennialist, I'm a pan-millennialist. Everything's going to pan out in the end. <laughs> the point is, is if we disagree, when we land up in this place where unity actually falls apart, but that love, isn't it interesting about love? I don't know if it's the battery or what, but it's not working. When we don't walk in the love of Christ, this is the definition of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. Now the reality is if we're honest, as Christian believers, as Christ followers, we don't do this very well. And because of this, we cause much pain because we don't live in the understanding or in the reality of this, of what love is. We walk away from relationships, marriages, friends, even jobs that are, you've got a boss who's looking after you and making sure you're taken care of, but you walk away because you maybe get offended with him or her in a moment. Somebody said this to me recently. Sometimes love means walking out the door. Imagine if Jesus took that as his adage. No, 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 love never walks out the door. Because I don't know about you, but love is patient. Love doesn't keep a record of wrong. Love works it out. And I want to implore you, where you are having struggles in relationships, work it out. Please don't walk out. Even if you land up having to leave, at least you're not walking out. You are going to a new place, having dealt with whatever you need to deal with. And when I talk about issues around marriage and stuff like that, I'm not talking about abusive relationships. Those you, you move away from very quickly. Because adultery is not just fornication. If your husband is laying a hand on you, he is committing adultery in my view. And you leave him. Verse 13, let the peace of God rule in your heart. One of my favorite scriptures. And be thankful. See that peace is actually, the word rule is actually a sports term in Greek. And it's act as an umpire. If you actually read the Amplified, it'll actually say, let the peace of God act as an umpire. Because you know that Satan cannot counterfeit peace. Only God can give you peace. Only Jesus can give you peace. It actually says, in scriptures, we, he is our peace. We have the spirit of peace. So when you're trying to make decisions, and I know I've given this many, many times. Is there a problem? No. Okay, cool. Many, many times. Uh, I've probably shared this, but it's worth sharing again. It is, um, uh, well, I can't even remember his name. He'll come to me in a moment. And I read this book, and it's about how you make decisions. And he gives this, uh, Bob Mumford, there's his name. And it's called Decisions Revisited. And he talks about this, uh, this harbor in Italy where, where they, they kept coming aground, these ships, as they came into the harbor. So they put up these three beacons to make sure that as long as you lined up these three beacons, you would get through to the harbor and not you know, hit the bottom. And he, and he gave those three beacons as Christians. We have this. We have the Word of God. Now, the Word of God could be two things. The Scripture. Is it against Scripture? Because if it's against Scripture, don't do it. Okay? If you're going to murder someone, just don't do it. Because it's not, no. But it's also, hey, what has God said to you? What, what is the present word of God to you around the circumstances? And, and in terms of prophetic words and all those kind of things. Number two, God's providence. What's that? God's the circumstances you find yourself in. But be careful not to go, oh, well, you know what? <clears throat> I did this and that, and, and it's all pointing towards me doing this and this. Because guess what? Jonah did that. Oh, I go down to, oh, there's a ship to drop. I'll hop on it. So providence is not also the only indication. But the third one is the peace of God. If you can line all of those three up, that's the decision to make. I've got a big decision. I want to emigrate. I want to do this. I want to do that. All those lining up. If those are lining up, then the peace of God rules in your heart and you're able to make the right decision. Because if you make that decision based on emotions, you will be conflicted. 
you'll often be overwhelmed by what's going down and you will lose perspective and not make the right decision. So whenever somebody comes to me and asks me, what do I think? What is God saying and where is the peace leading you? That should be where you should be making your decision. Verse 16, coming into land. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. See, one of these things is faith, when you go read Romans 10, 17, we will all quote the, the King James, don't we? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the, it's not the word of God. If you go read the original Greek, it's evangelion, which is the gospel, the message of God. Which ties up with what, what I've just read, doesn't it? It's the message of Christ. So let's not get caught up into the rote, literal things of what, what we're reading. Actually, has the message of God, has the gospel come and has it inhabited you? If, if you don't know what the gospel is, we've got uh, foundation course material, all of that. Bathe yourself in what the message of the gospel is. It's the good news. It's the good news that's actually too good to be true, but it is. You know, there's an advert currently, you know, if, if it sounds like it's too good to be true, it probably is. No, 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 this is true. And actually God has done what he said. He, you see, what it does is when we allow it, it inhabits your heart abundantly. That's what that text is saying. So when it says here, let the message of Christ dwell in your heart richly, it's like this overflowing. It's like what Quentin did with the baptismal font. He got so excited about Alice's baptism, it overflowed. But what the Word of God does is, I don't know if you guys, many, I'm sure you have, but you go into a sports field with bare feet and it's got those devil thorns. It's the worst thing. Because it's, they're not even big. You can't even see them. But you step on it and it's like, whoa, okay, whoa. And then you look up and okay, now, now you've got to get out of the thing. So you pull them out, next step, oh, I've got more. And I know Jen is here somewhere. I think she's at the back. But we, were, we went on ministry to Botswana many years ago. She was tiny. She was probably two or three years old. And we went afterwards, after we'd ministered, we went to the guy's house, and uh, they had this little cactus, and she grabbed it. And it's those, those little hairy thorns, like you can't even see them. So Louise is going like this over her, ah, and she'd scream. And then we'd get them all out, and then she'd say, ah, and she'd scream. I don't know if you've ever had that, where you've put, you touch one of those things. But what's brilliant is that if you, if you think about the analogy here, we've got many things in our world that we touch and we get these thorns. And we can feel them and they, they hurt and we've had pain and we've had people disappoint us and betray us and whatever else. And the minute something else comes, it's like, you know, uh, the trauma kind of rises. It's like yesterday, um, uh, Jenna was reversing out and she bumped her car the other day. Um, and so she was reversing out and I, as she reversed out, I hit the back. And she went all like, Dad, that's PTSD for me. And I was like, yeah, babe, just warning you not to keep looking at the back of your, your, your window. Anyway, the point is, is how do we get these things out? Well, if you continue to read the word, it's, it's like it takes these thorns out. It takes these devil thorns out. What happens is, is fears and anxieties evaporate. Why? Because the richness of God's word comes. And lastly, whatever we do, in word or deed, we do it for Jesus. And I don't know if you saw those last three verses. Be thankful, gratitude in heart, giving thanks. <laughs> this whole thing, in terms of what we do, we do it with a grateful, thanksgiving heart. And when we cover it with that, we cover the runways of our heart with Holy Spirit. And we don't allow that stuff to ever come upon us again. Because we do it in the authority of Jesus representing Him. And I don't know if you know that, but we are representatives of the kingdom. And it's important for us to understand that because, you know, when we understand that we are people of love and thankfulness, what we do is we impact people's lives in this world in the way that God wants us to. Has anybody, I mean, if you've been a Christian, we're in the Christian in the 80s, 90s, DC Talk was one of my best bands. And I know Toby Mack has gone on his own and he's just as good as DC Talk, if not better. But there was one of their, their songs and they, they actually have a recording of Brennan Manning. And it's the greatest cause of atheism is the world, in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds 
unbelievable. We represent Jesus. We represent his kingdom. And so my question to you is, what, is, what are people's impressions of Jesus after you've been with them? And don't get all guilty and don't get all like, I've got a term Russia Erasmus uses for the, the rugby team, but I can't say that in church. But it's got something to do with wind and it's got something to do with bottom. You'll know which one I mean. So don't get wind bottom with me right now. Now, just by chance, I stumbled across this on Facebook this morning. It's a bit small to read, though. Wow. So Tom Holland, and it's not Spider-Man Tom Holland. Sorry, George. But uh, this was a guy who was an atheist, but then started to, uh, to study the kind of historical ancient world. And he says, while studying the ancient world, Holland writes, he realized something simp- something. Simply, the ancients were cruel, and their values utterly foreign to him. The Spartans routinely murdered imperfect children. The bodies of slaves were treated like outlets for the physical pleasure of those with power. Infanticide infanticide was common. I don't know what infanticide is. Killing children. Killing children. The poor and the weak had no rights. How did we get from there to here? It was Christianity. Holland writes, Christianity revolutionized sex marriage, demanding that men control themselves and prohibiting all forms of rape. Christianity confined sexuality with monogamy. It is ironic, Holland says, that these are now the very standards for which Christianity is derided. Christianity elevated women. In short, Christianity utterly transformed the world. And I know that there's a shift back. The nuclear family, marriage, all of those things are coming under massive attack. The church, what we believe in. But God has called us to be a community, to be people that actually follow his ways. And to do the things that he's called us to. To bring our lives and our lifestyles into line with that which we already are. Because we impact the world and we transform it for the sake of the kingdom and for his glory. Amen.